sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sex just isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hello, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I have a fantastic guest with me today, Dr. Lauren Fogel, who is a certified sex therapist, upcoming author, and let's be real, folks, an all-around awesome human. Welcome, Dr. Fogel. I'm so glad you're Thank you. I'm so excited to do this. So happy to be here. We're just going to jump right in because we're going to have some fun. We're going to have yeah. fun with some folks today. This is something I think both you and I see a lot in our practices. This is a lot of times when I, I get a lot of questions about this. I get DMs about this. I imagine you get DMs about this. Yes, yes. We are talking all things arousal today. We're talking about desire discrepancies. We're talking about what happens when you have low sexual desire. So we're going to just start from the bottom basement bare tax of, of some definitions here so people know what we're talking about when we talk about these things. So tell folks a little bit about what desire discrepancies are so they kind of know where we're headed. Yeah, this is probably one of the top one, two, three things that folks come in to see a sex therapist for. And even just general couples therapy, I would say this is a really common issue. Yeah. Um, so you have two people in a relationship and they each have differences around what their ideal vision of sex is like, what that looks like, how often it occurs. And so there can be some challenges in bridging that gap between what you really want, what I really want, and where do we meet in the middle? So desire discrepancy is just you want something a bit different than what I want, and we have to figure out how to move forward with that. Yes, I think I think that's probably, I would say, I would venture to be, it might even be as much as maybe 60, maybe even 70% of the cases I see, maybe, and trying to understand like why that's happening. The thing I hear a lot from people is I'm broken. Yes. What is it like when you get a call? What is that kind of primary thing folks are kind of looking for when we're talking desire discrepancy? Well, I think, you know, there's a pretty significant gendered component to the concern around low desire. And this is certainly what I'm about to say is not true for everyone, but a common theme that I see in my practice is I see a disproportionate number of women come in with the concern, cisgender, heterosexual women, let me just clarify, coming in to talk about how to fix the problem of the brokenness of their sexuality and how that manifests is that they're not often thinking about sex or they're not really wanting to be a participant in sex or they're not initiating sex and they feel like something's wrong. Yes. I think many people think that we primarily deal with erectile dysfunction, which we do deal with that. There's a fair amount of that too. (laughs) But a lot of the women identified folks that come to me and you are people who are in a heterosexual relationship who are kind of saying that they're broken in quotation marks. And there's reasons for that. And we don't even have the time today to go into all those reasons. We could make a whole podcast about all those reasons. Um, But it seems to be sort of disproportionately 
cisgender, heterosexual couples, not only, not exclusively, but that is the majority of the folks who come in with desire, concerns, and issues. We can get into the weeds of this a little bit, but I know we could be here forever, like you just said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I see quite often is that culturally and trauma or there's just a fundamental relationship problem is typically the why of it. And it takes us quite a while, at least initially, to kind of get there because it's a tough thing to admit to yourself. So there's the relational piece to that. Is there something going on in the relationship? Then there's the psychological piece. Has there been trauma? Are there certain you know issues that the individual is dealing with? But then there's also this really huge cultural piece. The cultural piece is this myth that sex is supposed to be this certain thing, that your desire for it is supposed to look a certain way. We have these narratives and stories around interest and libido, and they tend to veer towards a pretty patriarchal and sexist view of sex and libido. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many times I feel like, and this is getting probably a little far out there for our, our folks listening, but since it, there, you got two sex therapists talking in your ears, you're, <laughs> sometimes I feel like my primary theoretical perspective sometimes is feminism. <laughs> so hard to not include feminism and sociocultural lens to this because when the, there's this disproportionate, this unevenness to the number of people who come in, it's a lot of heterosexual women saying, hey, this is a problem for me. And a lot of that is because it's a problem for me because it's a problem for my male partner. But the female is the one who shows up in the office, which is just so interesting. Yes. That, 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 you know, I'm here because my partner's upset that I don't want to have sex or I'm not interested. And so here I am and I'm taking time out of my day to come and talk to somebody about that. Mm-hmm. They don't love it when I try to pull in their partner, but <laughs> it so often goes from being individual sessions to couple sessions. It has to, it has to, because it's a couple's issue, because it's something that involves both of them and that we, we require the perspective of both because in part, a sexual relationship is a negotiation between two people. And so you need two people to have a negotiation. It's true. I mean, we can try in our head, but we can try. Well, and I think there's also this buy-in from a lot of cishet women, cisgender being that they identify as the gender that they were assigned at birth and uh, heterosexual being a male-female dynamic that for a lot of those folks, I think they've bought into this idea that something is wrong with them and that they are the the person who needs help. They are the problem. And so that's why they are the one to show up in our office. And so it's uh, starting the conversation with like, hey, let's talk about some of these things in the context of the relationship and how we're going to work on that in the context of the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we were to take our folks who are listening for, through like step one, how do, how do they get started? How do they start addressing these issues? I mean, I mean, we all proselytize therapy out here. We all want you in therapy, but yeah, you probably like me, it's, I get messages on social media from folks all over the world. And unfortunately there isn't access 
even locally, there isn't enough access to folks like you, like me, who have some training in sex therapy and who provide those services. People either don't know where to find that, there isn't someone locally, or it's not affordable. So one of my favorite resources, a great place to start is Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, which is for me, I think the the holy grail to starting this conversation. Yes, absolutely. Now it's written for a female reader, but for the male listeners out there, this is a little gem that could be so insightful to read. So if you can set aside that, you know, it's it's often talking to the reader as if you're a woman, but some, you know, really valuable information in there that as a male partner who has sex with females, this gives you some great insight and might give you an edge that would really be advantageous. Yes. I've definitely mentioned that book on this podcast a few times and put it in my show notes. And and I know Dr. Emily Nagoski has been on, I consider my sister podcast, um, Dr. Nazanin Moali's podcast called Sexology. So if those of you who are listening, if you want an interview to hear an interview with Dr. Emily Nagoski, check her out. Just a shameless plug for <laughs> Dr. Moali as well. So I, I just think that's a wonderful place to begin for folks is to just have some information that you need and you did not get. So this is like big context right here, right? Most of us did not get good sex ed and most of us don't have any idea on how to pleasure a partner. All of the messages we get are from what we were taught or really not taught. And from the things that we've seen from Hollywood or from, you know, erotic imagery. And a lot of that stuff is for entertainment purposes. It's not meant to be educational. So we have a fundamental issue where we're really just lacking in information. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Number one book, (laughs) buy that book, hold on to it dearly. It is so, so valuable. And also the uh, workbook that accompanies it just came out in June, which is also uh, a nice resource to go alongside of that. So that's one place to start. Wonderful, wonderful suggestion. Quick break from the action, folks. (laughs) Action. (laughs) I just want to tell you about my Patreon. Every week, I bring you guests and seriously, lots of sex nerdery. (laughs) Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. I am going to be doing shout outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y.com forward slash Patreon. I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. When you deal with either desire discrepancies or when we're talking about like low sexual desire, maybe somebody actually does have low sexual desire. What do you typically see for folks or, or what is a common issue that people call you for? Common issues are the low interest. Difficulties getting aroused, difficulty having an orgasm, pain that comes with sex. That's a big deterrent for why you might have low interest. We're not going to want to do something that does not feel good or is painful. 
a really common theme that I see in the couples that I work with is that sex is approached with an all or none lens, that it's either this, you know, one packaged script that typically involves, you know, some kissing and touching, things like this, moving into some genital contact, ending with penetrative sex, and somebody has an orgasm, and that becomes the marker of that sex. Well, when you're strapped for time and you're exhausted and you don't have energy and you haven't seen each other all day, signing up for that package may be really challenging for you. So we have to repackage that. We have to come up with some gray zones, some alternatives, some other ways to be intimate and sexual and connect so that it's not just this or nothing. Hmm. Oh my gosh. This is so, you are so right on point with this. I, I can't tell you how many, and I know you know exactly what I'm saying, how many folks come to me and they haven't looked or touched or hugged or kissed each other in months. So it's okay. No sex. That means no intimacy either. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I'm sure most people can imagine that to go from not even touching each other in the very simplest way, to let's go be naked together and vulnerable together and have some sort of sexual encounter, that's a jump to go from one place to the other. And so that jump in and of itself could be the barrier. That could be the deterrent because it's just feeling so unfamiliar and so foreign. Most of us don't have sports cars out here. We can't just go zero to a hundred. Right, right. We don't work like that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So a large part of the work that I do, and I'm sure that you are doing as well, and I would say that I would think that a lot of sex therapy involves this, is really trying to kind of redefine what sex and intimacy could be. And for the person who has the low libido, one question that I really like to ask is, what is your low desire for? Is it for intercourse? Is it to have orgasms? Is it to be touched? Like what specifically are you not interested in? Because when we tease that apart, we might find, as I often do, that there's lots of interest in being touched and held and kissed and caressed and all kinds of intimate contact, but maybe not for one or two specific things. And part of that could be that those specific things are either not that pleasurable for that person or just not that motivating to that person. So if we can tease that apart, you might find that like, hey, we could be intimate a lot if it didn't feel like it was this all or none. Yes, that I can't touch you because it means that it's going to lead to this penetrating cycle or these these A plus B C system that we have always ascribed ourselves to for sex. And as you know, if you don't want C, you slowly are like, eh, B, I don't know about that. And then A, I don't want to sign up for this. And then you're in the nothing zone. I love that question. I think that's a fantastic question. Also, everything that we we talk about today will be in the show notes. And I I want to say like one of the best ways to find Google is on Instagram. And you had you had shared an image I think that had all of those like extra options people could be thinking about. Like, what does it mean to have sex? And like all of these fun different things you can think of. Many people absolutely leave out of the. Yes. Well, because we see it as a hierarchy or as a staircase. 
as like, you know, the point of kissing is just to get some, you know, blood flow so that we can move to the next piece. And so it's really sometimes missing the nuances and and the parts that can be really enjoyed from just like, let's just make out. Like when's the last time you just made out with a partner and it didn't lead to something else. And sometimes that can just be really fun. It doesn't always have to be tied to the next step. So I think of it as a circle instead of as a staircase or a hierarchy so that you have the ability to kind of take some of the value judgments out of it. So intercourse is not necessarily better than a makeout session. It's just something different. It's just another option. Yes. I love that. Take away the hierarchy. (laughs) I just love that. Like one of the things I know both of us see in our practices is this absence of newness or novelty. And I know that many of the couples that I see in throuples, they do get a little concerned about like, okay, how do we even begin? So what are some ways that you think one or two ways that folks can add some newness to the bedroom? Two parts to that question. One is that folks kind of get stumped here because they think like, well, how, how much do we have to mix it up? Or like, gosh, we're going to be together for a long time. Like how kinky do we have to get before we're going to feel like things are, you know, going well for us. And what's interesting is that I think this comes from Dr. Esther Perel's work is that when you're doing novel things together in a non-sexual context, that that can sometimes have that carryover into the sexual realm. So you don't necessarily have to bring out whips and chains to feel a sense of excitement and uh, interest because if you're going to new places and trying new things and doing new things together, that might satisfy that need for novelty and that might translate to uh, keeping the passion and the interest in the relationship. I just love that suggestion so much because I think that not all newness has to come from the bedroom. Right. (laughs) Have a monkey brain. Our monkey brain really likes newness in whatever form we're providing it. Yeah. So I'm often, you know, for folks who feel like things are just sort of stale or too routine or nothing's been new lately. I'm often recommending to go on a date and try to do something they haven't done before. Take a class you've never taken, go to a place where you haven't been before, try something different and just experience that together in a way that maybe you haven't experienced before. And that reminds you that your partner is this other person and is pretty cool and interesting. And you get to sort of see how they respond to this new information. Yes. So you hear that folks, no more Netflix and chill as much as that's great for when you're tired. (laughs) Netflix and chill isn't novelty. You got to get out there and try something new, maybe a ropes course. Right. right, Yeah. Netflix and chill is great for, you know, throughout the week and, you know, here and there, but on date night or when you're trying to really cultivate connection, it's not the greatest option. Okay. So you're going to be an author soon. So stay tuned for all of that folks, because we can't talk about it quite yet. So just a tease. It's in the works. It's in the works. 
And guess what? It's going to be all about arousal. And I'm going to have Dr. Fogel back when that book is ready. And how do people find you in the world if they want to be a client of yours or know more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm pretty active on social media right now. So uh, Instagram and Facebook, Dr. Lauren Fogel, uh, you can find me there. And if you'd like to set up an appointment with me, I practice in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the US and Google search will get you to my clinic number and information. Fantastic. I will put all of that in the show notes for all of you. And I'm telling you guys, follow her on Instagram. There is some fantastic information for you to get. Very, very easy to understand. In the sexuality field, want to give you as much information as we can, as easy as we possibly can. Thank you again for coming on the show. And thank you, folks, for listening all the way to the end. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See you all next time.